In 2017, President Donald Trump signed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Two years later, the economy appears to be holding up well with low unemployment and rising stock prices. But is everyone sharing in the wealth? While people across all tax brackets are benefiting from fewer taxes, the wealthy appear to be reaping the most benefits. On today's show, we hear from two people who discuss the impacts of what Democrats are calling the Trump tax cuts. You'll hear first from David Lightman. He's a DC-based reporter for McClatchy, the parent company of the Sacramento Bee. Giving his take next is John Capal, a conservative in California who likes the tax cuts and serves as president of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation. We are not going to have a circus here. But we just left pleasure for paradise. Can you please hug me? (laughs) Do not worry, Dutch is not here today. We, We clearly learned our lesson. These are not ordinary times. And this will not be an ordinary election. I'm Brian Anderson. You're listening to California Nation. Talking now with me is David Lightman. He's a D.C.-based reporter who's covered the effects of the tax cuts. David, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I appreciate your having me. So let's give some context. This is called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Some to refer to it as the Trump tax cuts. But before we get into what it is, what it's done, talk to me about the system before 2017 as far as the regulatory environment for taxes. Yeah, the tax cut uh, policy has gone up and down, and let's date it back to the, the Reagan years in the 80s. Republicans have believed that the more you cut taxes, uh, especially skewed toward tax cuts to the wealthy, the more the wealthy will spend and invest, and that will somehow trickle down to people making less. It will create jobs for them, incomes, and so forth. Um, this was a staple of 1981 tax cuts. Uh, top rate at the time was 70%. You can imagine that. And immediately they cut that rate, the Reagan uh, administration did, to 50%. Fast forward um, to the 80s, 90s, where the rate got as low as, I believe, 35, maybe even lower. Uh, Bill Clinton's administration raised it back up to 39.6, and it pretty much stayed there with some variations. Um, but the Republicans, particularly the Trump people, said, no, we've got to cut that. We've got to give the wealthy more to spend and invest. And that's what brings us to 2017. The 2017 tax cut um, arguably was skewed to the wealthy. Uh, there were tax cuts for the middle class, uh, tax cuts for child care. But as the nonpartisan tax foundation study has shown, the wealthy, that is people making uh, after-tax incomes of over $200,000 did better on a percentage basis than others. And in your story, which we're linking to in our show notes for listeners who want to check it out and, and learn more about this, you know, like this, this tax policy center estimated that 60 to 76% of people would get a tax cut. So who are these people that are benefiting? Well, in fairness, uh, the wealthy benefited quite a bit. Uh, depending on where you live, that tax cut was probably anywhere from three to four or five six percent um people in lower incomes also got tax cuts i mean people nationwide making between 25 and fifty thousand did get a slight tax cut slight being under one percent 
uh, people making a hundred to two hundred thousand, for example, in Central California, Northern California, probably got tax cuts of one, two, three percent. It just wasn't as much. Eight percent of people did get increases in taxes, and in California, the impact of the tax cut was less because they changed a lot of the deductions and the itemizations. So let's go into the, the specifics. What did the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act do as it relates to California? What was the impact that it had? And I know we could go into the state and local tax deduction, which was called SALT. We can go into many different ways. But what was sort of the, the broad highlight as it relates to California? SALT is the big one because it put a cap on how much you could deduct for state and local taxes. And in California, as all your listeners know, taxes are unusually high on state and local basis. So because you're capping that, you can't simply subtract that anymore the way you could. Also, uh, it was harder to deduct itemized deductions. They raised the standard deduction quite a bit. I believe it was $12,000 per person. The theory being this way, uh, taxes would be simpler and more people would benefit. You didn't have to have this large pile of itemized deductions. Uh, we could debate all day whether that worked out the way it should, but I think most experts will tell you that California, as well as some other high-tax states, got hit harder than most. And if you look at those charts about how much uh, the tax cut helped, you'll see that most people in California in the aggregate got less of a tax cut than people in lower-tax states. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one thing we've seen California's governor, Gavin Newsom, talk about a little bit is, is that the unemployment rate is still low in California and the unemployment rate is low nationally. I know you talked to one local congressman, Tom McClintock, who basically shrugged the notion off that the wealthy are are being mostly benefited from. And and he was sort of saying, look at consumer spending and employment. People are spending a lot of money and the unemployment rate's low. I mean, is there something to be said for that? Yeah, I mean, this debate's been raging now since I've been around. That's a long time. Um, I mean, you look back again to the Reagan years and the tax cuts, and uh, once we were done with the 81-82 recession, the economy boomed. Now, was that the result of tax cuts or massive government spending or favorable trade environment? I'll leave that to professional economists. But you have the same debate going today, and I frankly, as a reporter, cannot say who's right or wrong. Uh, McClintock is sincere in his views. A lot of experts agree with him on that. I mean, yes, unemployment nationally is at a 50-year low. The economy is continues to grow. I think it's now in its 11th, 12th year of recovery, which is extraordinary. Inflation remains historically low. You know, we, one could argue, what more do you want from an economy? So it's a tough debate and a fascinating debate, but there's no, not necessarily any right or wrong here. As far as the effect on on California, was this law targeted against some of these blue states? Like we've seen with SALT specifically, bigger states like New York and California are going to face the brunt of the damage. But people also cite, hey, look at a big state like Texas. That could also face some some hits through, through this as well. Was this a law that was targeted against more liberal leaning states? I don't think anybody stood there and said, let's get the liberal-leaning states. Uh, Let's get the Clinton states, for example. However, the bill was written by Republicans. Uh, Democrats had very little, arguably no input. The bill was passed with 
overwhelming Republican support and no Democratic support. So there you go. You mentioned Sacramento in your story, and, and you did an analysis of what it means for the local area. What did you find? Um, particularly, uh, same pattern. Uh, if you make, uh, made over $200,000, chances are you were going to get a tax cut somewhere in the 4 or 5% range. If you made twenty-five dollars to $50,000, your tax cut would be probably between 2 and 3%. Um, again, the wealthy got a disproportionate benefit from this. Is the trickle-down theory working so far? Deficits are at record levels. The debt is, I can't remember the exact figure, just booming. Are tax cuts a reason for that? One could argue pretty logically, yeah, because less revenue to the government. But they're not the sole reason for that. It's a complicated uh, complicated equation. But, yeah, that's a growing issue. These deficits are just arguably out of control. And can you distinguish between the national deficit and the national debt? Because I know those are two things that are different that people can sometimes use synonymously with one another. Yeah, simply put, deficit is the, um, how can I put it, it's the number on the balance sheet. In other words, uh, we're in fiscal 2020 right now. If the government spends, whatever, $14 trillion and only takes in $13 trillion, you have a trillion-dollar deficit for the fiscal year. That becomes part of the debt. The debt is an ongoing number that's stuck there and keeps growing and growing, and somehow it has to be financed. How do you see this playing out on the 2020 campaign trail? It's uh, a good question. You know, we, we always say that uh, as the economy goes, so go elections. And right now, we're still the economy is still growing. People are working. Uh, if in fact the economy begins to collapse next summer, uh, then I think tax cuts are going to be examined very closely. And all the questions you raise, all the good questions you raise, uh, is it too skewed to wealthy? Is it a major contributor to the national debt? That's suddenly going to become a big focus. At the moment, it's not. There are other things in the mix, but let's wait and see. When you're looking at it from the Democratic side, as we're covering the 2020 campaign trail in California, seen dozens of, of Democrat, I shouldn't say dozens, like at least 25 <laughs> Democratic presidential candidates come into this state since the start of the campaign. And when you ask them about the economy, they largely point to income inequality or they point to wealth disparities or, or they point to people still having to work multiple jobs, which might not be reflected if you just look at the the baseline unemployment rate. People can be underemployed, and there's other variables. How do you see Democrats talking about the tax cuts in 2020? Because it seems like right now, if you ask about the economy, that's not something that Democrats are bringing up as much as Republicans. No, but there is a tremendous sentiment among Democrats and some Republicans, by the way, for some kind of tax on the wealthy some kind of millionaire's tax. Democrats have come close to passing this in the past. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has made it a centerpiece uh, of her campaign. Uh, and there's, a, again, a lot of sentiment for this, even among wealthy Democrats. You know, tax us if we have a net income over a million dollars. So I think you'll see more of that. Uh, as far as broad tax increases, that's still political poison. Inequality is a strong argument Democrats can make because despite the numbers, as you say, people there are an awful lot of people out there who feel they're running in place with the economy. And as you know, the inequality is visible day after day on the streets of Sacramento or Fresno or almost any California city you can name. So I think it's going to be an issue, whether it's a dominant issue. Again, tell me how the economy is doing next summer, and I'll tell you how dominant it will be.
And last one, just from the Republican side of things, you hear a lot of criticism even within the president's circles about not liking tweets uh, and he should focus on the economy more because that's working in his favor. How do you see Trump discussing the tax cuts or the broader economic environment in the 2020 campaign? Oh, he's all. If at all. <laughs> no, no, he, listen, this is part of, uh, you know, his big, talk, one of his big talking points. I mean, the person in office takes credit for the economy, rightly or wrongly, and it has grown throughout his presidency. I mean, there's no quibble about that, and unemployment is at an historic low. So, and inflation remains uh, quiet, and frankly, is one who can remember double-digit inflation of the 70s and all that, and unemployment over 10%. Uh, that's something I think Trump uh, will be able to brag about. Now, how much credit he should get, that's up to the voters, but certainly a big talking point for him. And listeners to our podcast pay their taxes. How can they go about finding out how the Tax Cuts Act impacting them? Uh, go to the Tax Foundation website, uh, and just you can customize for your congressional district. Very easy. Just go to their site. They're a very reputable organization, and they do a good job. And more information on that in your story and at the SACB's website as well, too. Yeah, please. Go to the SACB's website. (laughs) (laughs) All right, David, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for coming on our show. It's great having you. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to California Nation. How do Republicans see the issue going into the 2020 election? I sat down with John Capal to find out. He leads the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, a conservative organization in California that often pushes for deregulation. Here's a portion of that conversation. What is your top line takeaway of what the goal of these tax cuts were? What was the aim behind this law? Well, I think it was multifaceted. I do believe that the overall objective was to jumpstart the economy. And in that respect, I think it's a tremendous success. However, I think that success was not equally distributed among the many states. You know, for California, the loss of the SALT deduction was kind of a big deal, and and everybody was talking about that. State and local tax deduction. Right, the state and local tax deduction. So uh, the dirty little secret is California did benefit from this uh, tax reduction. However, its share of the benefit wasn't nearly as great as those low and no-tax states like Florida and Texas. Right. And we've seen California and New York be disproportionately hurt, if you want to look at it that way, because of these SALT tax deductions. Right. Do you think that this was drafted or intended to target more liberal states unfairly? Yeah, I, I think there's two ways to look, look at it. I think the more uh, objective way to look at it is there was a legitimate policy argument that low and no-tax states shouldn't be subsidizing those liberal states like New Jersey, California, uh, and New York, Massachusetts, uh, by having to pay more disproportionately because they weren't able to deduct a whole lot of taxes. The, the cynical way to look at it is, sure, it was a way to, uh, to, na- to stick it to the blue states. And look, and and when the uh, and when the um, but I want to know which you believe it was. <laughs> I probably a little bit of both. You know, look, when Obama was in office, uh, he he adopted a number of rules and laws that were were uh, unfairly impacting conservative jurisdictions. I guess it's called politics. <laughs> and and other 
than salt. That's that's sort of been the biggest thing I've heard about the impact on California. Sure. What other portions of this law do you see impacting the state for better or for worse? Well, clearly for the better was the near doubling of the uh, uh, individual the individual tax credit standard uh, deduction. The standard the standard deduction and the the uh, uh, child the child deduction the dependent deduction uh, was really helpful to middle class Californians. And this is what's kind of ironic to me is that there have been proposals to reverse this particular tax cut. And so the impact if we completely repealed this particular law in California, that would really benefit high wealth individuals. And yet the Democrats seem to be pushing that. So my question would be to progressives is, I thought you guys were all about trying to help the the low class, the middle class, and really trying to punish uh, the wealthy. And this a repeal of this law would have the opposite effect here in California. Is this law just not kind of furthering the economic inequality that we're seeing across the country? I, I, I think the, the, the notion that there is substantial uh, economic inequality is a red herring. Uh, the ultimate in um, economic parity is socialism or communism, where everybody, everybody gets the same thing. And I, my, my question to progressives is, is that really your ultimate goal? And they'll say, no, of course it's not. But the reality is it should make no difference if you've got somebody making $100 billion a year if they've done it fairly within the law and somebody else is making $100,000 a year. Um, we used to live in an America where people would look at a fancy car and say, gee, I want one of those when, when I'm older as opposed to, What's that guy doing with that expensive car? Let's fi find out a way to take it away from him. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, the capitalistic free market system will always have inherent inequalities, but it also results in the most vibrant economy and, and quite frankly, intellectual freedom and all other kinds of freedoms. I guess my biggest question is when it relates to, to companies, they've gotten a lot of money in buybacks and repurchasing their own stocks. Some, mm -hmm. some it works fantastic, like look at Apple, its stock price has soared. Right. Look at Bed Bath & Beyond, they've been hammered. Yes. But a lot of that money isn't necessarily going to you, the average worker, to get a pay raise. It's, it's going often to people buying back companies, buying back their own stock and not necessarily benefiting the worker. How do you address that? I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's up to anybody else outside the, the shareholders to, to address that. If they think that is in the best interest of that corporation, where it's long-term um, financial health and to keep uh, potential hostile takeovers uh, at bay, that makes perfect sense. Um, that's up to them. Again, I, I, think, I think the, look, we're, we're free market advocates here, and uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I'm all sold out on questions. Anything else you want to <laughs> add that I didn't ask about? I think that pretty much covers it. John, thanks for coming on the show. It's You're very welcome. You. you bet. Take care. <laughs>
I've taken stock and I've looked at this from every angle. And over the last few days, I have come to one of the hardest decisions of my life. So here's the deal, guys. Um, my campaign for president simply does not have the financial resources to continue and the financial resources we need to continue. I'm not a billionaire. I can't fund my own campaign. And as the campaign has gone on, it has become harder and harder to raise the money we need to compete. And with that, Harris decided to suspend her campaign. So to you, my supporters, my dear supporters, it is with deep regret, but also with deep gratitude that I am suspending our campaign today. But I want to be clear with you. I am still very much in this fight and I will keep fighting every day for what this campaign has been about. Justice for the people. The California senator was considered a front-runner early on in the campaign, especially after her first debate where she took on Joe Biden over school desegregation. So what's next for her? Vice President, Attorney General, or a Senate re-election bid? While there are many questions ahead, one thing is certain. Kamala Harris, you are my Buzz of the Week. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of California Nation. I'll return to your podcast feed next week as I travel to Los Angeles for the next Democratic presidential debate. And if you liked what you heard today, please make sure to write a review on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. It helps listeners like you find our show. Word of mouth also helps. And if you want to support this podcast and keep the show going, please, please subscribe to the Sacramento Bee. You can find a link on our show notes, along with a link to the story we referenced in today's episode about how the tax cuts are impacting you. And for all the latest political news, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian R. Anderson. That's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation.